Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking on a reasonably deep dive into this week's health news. This week's words are energy drinks, diabetes, teen sports, and burnout. Robin's going to tell you what those things mean. <laughs> what are we going to learn this week, Robin? Hang on, I'm trying to find my email. Well, apparently, we're going to learn why energy drinks may be linked to frightening side effects for your heart. We're going to learn about a, a health paradox causing diabetes cases to fall even as obesity rises. Why playing teen sports may protect you from some damages of childhood trauma. And why burnout is now officially recognized as a legitimate symptom by the World Health Organization. Yay, good job. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Wait, did you say that you were ready to podcast and then you didn't even even have the email open? I feel like, I feel like somehow you... <laughs> I mean, because I'm trying not to open it. Like, I'm trying to... Actually, no, that's like a... That might be a bogus excuse. I've What, I'm, what I want to tell you, what I want to be true is that I was wait, <laughs> waiting to open the email until the moment we start recording so that it can be 100% a surprise to me. Because really, the only way uh-huh, that I'm uh-huh, able to uh-huh. do, though, what we're going to tell you is I open the email, I see the headlines, and then I just make them into, like, it says, like, energy drinks may be linked to a frightening. And I'm like, we're going to tell you why. Oh, my gosh. Too much backstory. What's our first story, Laura? So our first story comes from uh, marketwatch.com, and it's energy drinks may be linked to a frightening side effects that could affect for your heart. Um, so this is looking at... By at a study, um, an American Heart Association study found that drinking 32 ounces in an hour increased the risk of electrical disturbances within the heart. So, 32 ounces, which is typically like two cans of like Monster or uh, three cans of Red Bull, in under an hour um, spiked uh, electrical disturbance in the heart for as long as four hours after the drinks were consumed, according to a small study published in the Journal of American Heart Association. So it looked at 34 healthy volunteers between the ages of 18 and 40 that were randomly assigned 32 ounces. um, uh, So either placebo or commercially available, but unidentified uh, carbon caffeine drinks. So they made it so the beverages were swallowed within 60 minutes period, but no faster than one 16 ounce serving per 30 minutes. So it wasn't just like chugging two of them back to back. Um, and it had, um, a significant increase on, like, the heart, um, that can, um, lead to, um, electrical uh, heart arrhythmias. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Increased blood pressure can lead to heart failure, stroke, um, aneurysms, which can damaging to arteries in the heart. So, it's yeah. obviously a very small study, but it's, uh, very concerning, Surprise, surprise, energy drinks might not be the ha- ha- healthiest thing for you. The weird um, thing as is... As was discovered in, <laughs> in many researches before this. And then we were reminded by the energy drink uh, lobbying firm, lobbying group, that uh, energy drinks have been approved by the FDA and our, people have drank for, you know, 30 years and it's, and it's just fine. <laughs> well, what Absolutely I wonder is, fine. why is this an effect of energy drinks but not caffeine? Because this article also says that Starbucks, and why Starbucks is the coffee standard, let's leave that for another day. 
So a Starbucks 16-ounce coffee is 330 milligrams of caffeine, whereas the energy drinks were like 304 to 320 milligrams of caffeine per 32 ounces, meaning they had a little less than half of the amount of caffeine of a coffee per ounce, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. so, so you can't, it's not just the caffeine, right? That's, that's what I'm taking away from this. Like, so then I'm like, well, what else is in the energy drink? Cause there's some wonky stuff, right? Uh, right. <laughs> shock, yeah, like you say, shock of shocks. Coca-Cola is like, it's great. It's fine. Um, okay. So the article says it's the combination of stimulants and sweeteners that appears to be problematic rather than caffeine or sugar alone. But that's weird because people put sugar in coffee. Maybe it's the type of sugar or the amount of sugar. I feel like the amount of sugar people put in their coffee is probably the same amount of sugar that's in energy drinks. I don't know. Fun fact about fun fact about me: I've never had an energy drink. Oh, I have. (laughs) Okay, here's my here's my story. I've not. I went to a Halloween party many years ago, and it was sponsored by, or it was like some energy drink company had donated stuff. And so when I said I wasn't drinking that night, they were like, oh, hey, man, no, like, no, I guess they didn't say hey, man, but they were like, no big deal. We've got like a baby pool full of like these free, like some kind of thing that's like someone donated to the party. And I was like, fantastic. I drank one at like 10 or 11 and was awake wide awake until 5 30 the next morning like just and so (laughs) i did not look closely at what was in it because i thought it was just like a pop or something and then it was it was not laura it was not also not a pop (laughs) also someone i was just i was on a work trip and someone was telling me that the it was like monster some like coffee flavor was good and i have to tell you i tried it and it was good but um so i googled what are the ingredients of these and found that they are caffeine sugar typically b vitamins but also this thing called guarana which is like brazilian cocoa it's like a south american plant that has like a caffeine compound that's called guaranine And there's also this thing called Mm -hmm. taurine, and sometimes they put ginseng. And what I wonder is, like, so taurine is, um, like, a sweetener, I think. So I I wonder if it's – wait, sorry. No, taurine's not a sweetener. I'm all all wrong. I'm all wrong. Hang on. Um, Okay, it's an amino acid that supports brain development and regulates the body's mineral and water levels, according to Time magazine. So, but the amount of, you know, consumed in energy drinks, this article is saying, is, like, larger than normal. Because what I'm looking for here as I'm Googling around is, one, reliable sources. But, two, like, what is it in these energy drinks that's so different than coffee? So, um, I'm saying it's some of these weird additives that are, like, we're putting all this stuff together. Because I'm guessing that sugar plus caffeine is not the reason. Also... Also, like you say, small sample size, but... Extremely. I really... And everybody was healthy, so... Yeah. Jesus. All right. I'm going to stick to my matcha lattes over here. (laughs) Hashtag 
Go things for it. White Other fun fact: like. never had coffee before, so what? can't can't help you with that. Um, Have you never noticed that? Yeah. Okay. I just didn't realize you had never consumed coffee ever. I mean, I'm not a coffee drinker, but like I periodically, I had a decaf latte yesterday. Um, I periodically will have a cup, but like, I just don't drink it every day or regularly. Never? Have you had a sip? Nope. I have not. Never have I ever. Well, one, I'm in, (laughs) I don't know what to do now. I feel like we need to move on to our next story. I feel very judged. (laughs) I mean, I'm just, I don't know what to say. Like, Laura, this is like, if I told you, like, I've never used a bar of soap before and you'd be like, you never touched one. And I'd be like, nope, I've seen them. It's like, wanna, it's, I mean, (laughs) just like, can you just like, okay, all right. I mean, I just, it's just like, you don't have to be a coffee drinker. I'm not a coffee drinker. It doesn't matter. But it's like, I'm gonna need you to have a sip, like, of a good coffee. Although, I also think coffee is an acquired Uh, taste. I need to, I I need to marinate in my shock. So you're gonna need to move on to the next story and I'm gonna have to keep (laughs) processing this. Um, our next story comes from CNBC, and it's health paradox. New U.S. diabetes cases fall as obesity rises. So this is looking at the number of uh, new diabetes cases among U.S. adults has been falling, although they're not really sure why. So it's down to about 1.3 million in 2017, down from 1.7 million in 2009. The available numbers for 2018 are not available yet. Um, so there's been a decline, uh, in the past, uh, but they're not necessarily celebrating it because they're not sure what is driving this, um, these trends, but the diabetes is a disease in which the sugar builds up in the blood. This is most common form is tied to obesity. So even though more people are overweight and obese and in the United States. They're not exhibiting um, diabetes and they're not getting diabetes, which is good, I guess, for some mm. point. But they're not sure what is causing that. So part of their thoughts process is that it may be caused because uh, doctors are catching like pre-diabetes more and like being more preventative oh. that way. Um, so... Uh, the most of the um most of the decreases being seen among uh white adults um the overall estimate of how many Americans have diabetes, whether the diagnosis is recent or not, is holding steady um at uh eighty per uh one thousand u s adults, which translates to twenty one million Americans so that's pretty high. Uh, new cases are are down, but once you have it, then you're no longer in the new. So people still have, lots of people still have it. Yeah. Also, I find this picture, um, the stock photo, very interesting. And I just, I, it's two people from the behind with their heads cut oh, off no. of the photo wearing uh, bags. And it's, and the... And the caption is, this file photo shows two overweight women in New York. I just, like, Ugh. who, did you just type in overweight women, overweight in the search bar? Like, right. it's just, it's not an attractive photo. doesn't make any sense. 
I don't know. I'm not sure what photo I would recommend to use instead of this one, but I feel like any, any photo would be better. Yeah. Just kind of strange. I mean, yeah. So this ties interestingly into all the recent stories about insulin price spikes and people protesting, you know, what is essentially a life-saving product, you know, and people are saying like, hey... You know, people are trying to stretch their insulin, and I think very recently Colorado, I think, was the first state to say they were going to have a cap, an insulin price cap. So, because um, basically, according yeah, I to think this, I heard something about that. Yeah, there was this article in Vox that was talking about like of the four most popular types of insulin, the cost of them has tripled in the past ten years, and the out-of-pocket costs to patients have doubled. So. Um, I think, so this article is saying average price per month in 2016 was $450. And that's a lot. It's a lot. So I'm, if anyone, anyone wants to check out an article Laura did not choose for the podcast, uh, check out Vox, The Absurdly High Cost of Insulin Explained. Um, I might put it in the show notes. We'll see. No promises. But I want, yeah, this is a very interesting situation. Maybe it is one of these things that's just related to the screening, maybe it's a sign that diabetes is not as linked to obesity as we thought. Although I'm going to be honest, I, I don't think that's the case, but I mean, that's another, that's another like trend, right? Is, is people saying like, right. um, separating obesity from like health issues because certainly like, I don't know. It's problematic, right? Because obesity is linked to a lot of health issues. And if you're obese and you break your leg, like you don't necessarily want to hear about the fact that you're obese. You want like an x-ray and a cast. So problems. Exactly. All right. You ready for our next article? Sure. Our next article comes from National Public Radio and it's playing team sports may protect from some damage of childhood trauma. So this is looking at um, how people who have participated in uh, sports uh, as a teen, uh, may help them uh, be more resilient to um, uh, childhood trauma. So it's looking at a research that was published in JAMA Pediatrics, um, and it found that participation in a team sport as a young person can significantly reduce the long-term likelihood of depression and anxiety for people with childhood trauma. Um, so the the... Also interesting point is that um, the people who are most likely to experience childhood trauma um, are also probably lower social economic um, tiered people. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who are less likely to be able to be able to afford to participate in team sports. So what you're saying is so socioeconomic status is a issues. predictor of health outcomes, which I feel like could have been the title of the podcast if it was snappier <laughs> we should have just <laughs> we should have just titled this eat right and exercise um because yes. hey laura does does this is exercise going to be beneficial to our health is that what this is showing absolutely oh my god more research is required more yeah. research needed so um so earlier research has shown that traumatic events in uh childhood called adverse childhood experience or ace um, A-C-E, um, can contribute to social and uh, physical problems throughout life. 
from obesity to chronic depression. About 50% of the people with at least one, um, one ACE, um, are the more likely you are to have long-term health effects. So they looked at, um, teens, teens who participate in team sports, um, and found that they were more, more likely to be resilient, um, and less likely to have be received diagnosis of depression or anxiety. They also looked at people who participate in other activities like theater or art and those types of things. And while the research didn't show that correlation, uh, it doesn't mean that there's not that correlation. So they think the researchers is, is hypothesizing that something about the team working together helps build that resiliency. Um, so more research is required to see if that's what it is, but, um, so the, the call is to include, uh, greater access for, uh, for children to have access to, to sports that way. Yeah. And you know, like sometimes I feel that instead of doing a physical education class, we should just tell kids that they have to do a sport and then make all the sports available. Because, I don't know, I guess I guess PE is good in a way, but sometimes I I remember that my PE program was not great and did not. If anything, it's, like, something I've had to overcome in becoming active as an adult is, like, experiences that I had that were just, like, neutral at best to, like, I guess remember, like, feeling really self-conscious or, like, they would be teaching us these skills, but there was, like, no way to practice them at home, and so I would feel, like well, why can't I do this volleyball trick? I guess I'll just show up tomorrow and try again. And yeah, I remember feeling kind of self-conscious. But my experience of sport as an adult has been very, you know, self-esteem promoting. And so I think part of this is... That's because you're a badass. Mm. <laughs> Pretty sure that's the technical term. Yeah, actually, question (laughs) or, like, situation I meant to share is that I'm a little nervous today because maybe I'm going to go do a swim race in a couple hours. Maybe. I I definitely, it's free, and so I didn't have to, like, sign up in advance, uh, I hope. And I didn't tell anyone I was going to do it. I clicked that I was interested in it on Facebook. And then I just, I was like very nervous about it, feeling kind of nervous about it. Do you like how I backed away from that? I'm very nervous. I'm kind of nervous. I might, I may possibly, but yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like it's, you have to overcome the initial feeling of like, why am I doing this? So. Okay. So why would you not do it? Um, cause it's, you and I have talked about this a lot recently. It's going to be, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour to get there because of traffic. And so I'm like, well, I could easily, I could easily, um, just do this on my own. <laughs> okay. Totally. Okay. A UPS person just came to the door, looked through the window, saw me, then knocked looked at me through the window and like walked away. Um, yeah, he probably is. He probably knows that this is where bad patient comes from. And he's like, Oh, are you, I'm sure that look was, are you podcasting? And my look back was, I am. Thank you for the delivery. So point being, 
Um, if I'm a little, a little nervous today, it's because I'm kind of a little scared of throwing myself in the, like I throw myself in the water all the time, but it's like anxiety provoking to like races are nerve wracking for me. And some people love racing and they go and do it all the time. And for me, I, I think like, well, it's expensive, but, and it's good experience, but yeah, it's just like, it's always like a hurdle to get over. It's not, it's not, it doesn't feel natural to me. So, and then I get done and I feel like someone who could be overcoming adverse childhood experiences slash trauma through my activity. So I'm, so I'm feeling great. Um, another, another fun fact that readers should know is you can take an ACE quiz. Um, I'm going to try to link to that in the show notes too. And you can, and you can find out what your score means. But I think we should tell people what ACEs are. So I'm sure you know some, Laura. What what's like what's like what do you think of when you think of them? Like physical abuse? Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. death of a parent, death of a mm-hmm. family member. I think yeah. I found a couple. You were right. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, caregiver, mental illness is a big one, and household violence. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. The weird thing is those are, are linked to not just poor academic achievement, but also diabetes, also heart disease, also, less surprisingly, substance abuse. So um, it's, it's an argument against the bootstrap mentality about how people are successful, right? Because mm-hmm. it's hard to pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you're not wearing boots. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, Laura, does this article make you want to, uh, like, go hiking more? That's not a team sport. <laughs> I thought it was a teen sport, not a team sport. Team sport that you do as a teen. Oh. <laughs> oh. It has to be team? Listen, you can hike with another yes. person. That's not a team it's like that's doing an, a dance class or an art class or acting. It's not not a team. Okay. <laughs> Listen. All right. I'm gonna need. Hey, you to- I like. I did like. I did like nature like all last weekend. I was like naturing the shit out of shit. All right. It was like me nature saw saw like a waterfall with like a dam. It was like pretty. Ooh. And it was pretty. Oh. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you didn't, it was good. you didn't Instagram that because a waterfall I have found. Very Instagrammable. I didn't have my phone with me because I was in nature, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. You ready for our last article? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So it comes from Science Alert and it's burnout. Now a legitimate syndrome according to the WHO. There, here are the symptoms. So... Workplace burnout has become such a serious health issue in modern age is that it's being reclassified by the World Health Organization. Um, it's being listed at, not as a medical condition, but as um, an occupational syndrome. So there was some bad reporting initially saying that it was uh, a medical condition. It is, they're not saying that. Okay. But it uh, creates... Um, some new changes. So, um, 
Previously, it was initially explained as a state of vital exhaustion, um, and it's now fleshed that out more. It is um, a syndrome due solely to the chronic workplace stress and should not be applied to describe experiences in other areas of life. Oh, so burnout Um, is just from work? Occupational burnout, yeah. So here's what it feels like. It's feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, or feelings of negativism and cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficacy. Um, There are new international standards, and they could cause greater improvement in diagnosis and treatment. Currently, there's no neat way to universally tease out the symptoms of burnout um, from symptoms from other mental health conditions such as depression okay so uh these will go into effect in uh january of 2022 Mm. and uh a uk survey for instance found that nearly 30 percent of human resource directors thought burnout was a wise was widespread in their organizations um and a recent report in harvard declared that physician burnout is a public health crisis um, potentially costing the economy $4.6 billion a year. Wow. So, like, that's that's what I was thinking of, like, with um, burnout. It is, like, with doctors, we're creating a system that requires so many machines and paperwork and all those different things. They feel like they're not able to connect uh, deeply with their uh, patients. And so it's creating more burnout for doctors because they didn't become doctors in order to fill out paperwork, you know? So yeah. well, and I think when we consider it's a real thing and it's cause yes. it can also cause people to leave occupations and also with yes. teachers and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So. And you're, you're starting to hear about, um, physician suicide in the news more and medical students complaining about abusive behavior. Um, there was already a huge thing about people complaining that, their mental health needs were not met in medical school or they weren't able to meet basic mental health needs, whether or not they had a, a mental health issue. So this is something that we've been hearing about for a long time. I have mixed feelings about physician burnout just because I'm someone who had some negative experiences in the medical world, but... Hey, Laura, did you keep recording? I did. Okay. Um, I was going to say what? Here, let's leave five seconds of silence. That's a good plan. Okay, hang on. So physician burnout is something that I think is very real and that I've personally kind of struggled with for a hot second because I've had some difficult interactions with medical professionals that influenced how comfortable I felt in those settings. And so that's, it's, you know, something that sometimes has been a little harder for me to like drum up a ton of empathy about. But at the same time, I realized that sometimes people who are behaving in an abusive way were themselves people who experienced abuse right? In the same way as the traumatized child can become someone who has a higher incident rate of substance abuse, 
young people who enter medical school and are and are just crushed, you know, psychologically by mm-hmm. that or just not supported, then they, you know, that's how we get wounded healers, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. So hopefully this will encourage more research and um, find more and better ways to get um, people help and prevent and overcome burnout. Yeah, and interesting yeah. to know that the ICD-11 is coming out in January 2022. Yes. So, good stuff. All right. What's your current medical fa- fascination? Well, I have been looking a little bit into the health consequences of eating organic versus non-organic food because I was trying to figure out, you know, and and solidify for myself why I eat organic when I can or when does it make sense, you know. So I found that, which I already knew, that there's not necessarily a nutritional difference. So an organic orange and a non-organic orange, as far as we can tell, are nutritionally about the same. And there's not necessarily like protective benefits in terms of avoiding bacteria and problems that there can be with food. I don't know the exact rates, but anecdotally, I've heard them about both. So it seems like the benefit then is avoiding consuming pesticides that are used in food. So to some extent, organic farmers still use certain products to prevent certain insects and things, but organic produce as a whole has a lower amount of ingestible pesticide in it. And so that is the difference. So the reason that we can still sell things with higher and lower levels are that they tested pesticides on animals and they established that they were safe. And then, you know, governmental agencies set like limits essentially to say what is safe. Standards. Yes. So the problem is that, and I think this is why I, because I was, I was honestly looking to see like, does this make sense? Should I keep doing this? Um, Because I've been challenged on this point recently. So I know I was looking into it. And I think I'm still going to go for it um, for dairy products and meat. I need to do a little more research on meat. But my understanding on meat is that um, organic animals have more like different like grazing standards and they have to be given a little more room and that they're given antibiotics less. They're only given them when they're like sick. And so then I, that's something I'd really like to avoid is <laughs> like antibiotic-laced food products. And then the pesticide piece, right. I think, yeah, okay, like we set what we consider like an acceptable level, but we know from so many other studies that animal testing and human testing, the results can be completely different and it's not necessarily right. fine. And so I think to me, if I can limit that pesticide exposure, exposure, I will. But I think there's still a lot that I'd like to understand because not all organics are created equal. And so then I think the big question for right. me becomes, well, would it be better to buy to buy local, conventional versus grocery store, you know, Kroger brand mm-hmm. simple organic? Because, I, you know, we're start, they're starting to make some organics that are like, I think, minimum standards, right? Whereas I think mm-hmm. the roots of the whole organic food movement were small farms and all this stuff. So um, as organic goes corporate, it will be interesting to see how the quality of that food is. But it's a really complicated issue. So that's what that's what's on my mind. 
So, Laura, I think that's about enough bad patienting for me for one day, and we want to let listeners know that they can rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your media, and that they can visit us at thebadpatient.com or send your health questions or story ideas to hello at thebadpatient.com. The number of reader questions that we have responded to and answered on the air so far is 100%. So send us your questions. Until next time, we are bad patients.